Hi everyone, Demetrius McRae here, your online campus pastor here at Calvary Christian Center. Welcome to our podcast. As we are in our season of healing, just so you know, we are worshiping on campus and making sure that our worship experiences are safe and sanitary. May today's message bring healing, hope, and ultimately transformation. Hope you enjoy the message. Now, now, Lord, we just slip up our hands and we tell you that we need your miracle mercy today. We're thankful that you called us by our names. That's what you said in your word. You redeemed us. You called us by our names. And now we are yours. Lord, the devil calls us by our sin. People will call us by our failures. But, Lord, you call us by our name. Lord, release anointing in this room as I teach and preach your word. In Jesus' name. Somebody give the Lord an ovation of praise. Will you do it? You can be seated. Amen. That was a beautiful job, guys. Courtney wrote that song. That was my oldest daughter singing. You want to get blessed, just watch your kids worship the Lord. I'm so glad to be with you today. I've been so excited about gathering with you and teaching this word. I have to run right out when this service is over and go preach again tonight. But I heard my granddaddy say one time, he said, I would rather wear out than rust out. Come on. So I'm going to do all I can with all I've got while I've got all I can to do it with. But I'm so excited about gathering with you today because I've been teaching all through the tabernacle. Some of you, now this will be the last Sunday that I'm going to teach like this. And some of you are saying, well, Pastor, I wish you would stay with it. Honey, I could stay on this for six months. I might preach a revival and just make it a tabernacle revival. Come on. But we've been learning so much. And uh, remember, this tabernacle points to things. It's types and shadows. It reveals Jesus. It reveals the plan of salvation. It reveals so much. But really, one of the things that it most reveals is how we should live our lives. If you remember, I told you about the fact that when the children of Israel were journeying through to the desert, the very first thing that they did before they put their own tent up, they put up the tent of dwelling. They put up this wilderness tabernacle. And they camped round about that tabernacle. Everybody faced their tents toward the presence of God. Three tribes to the north, three tribes to the south, the east, and the west. 12 tribes, they put the Lord first. And then if you remember, I talked to you about the reality that we need to put our lives first, or, or put the Lord first in our lives, that we need to build our lives around God's presence. But then I told you that they would come entering into God's presence, they had to walk through one of the tribes. And the tribe that camped right in front of the door of God's presence into the tabernacle was the tribe of Judah. And Judah means praise. So you would come into God's presence coming through praise. In fact, when you got to the door, the one door, and that door is Jesus, amen? There's only one door into God's presence. I've taught you all about that. But you would come in entering to his gates with thanksgiving in your hearts and entering to his courts with praise. Is there anybody today on Valentine's Sunday, you got a reason to be thankful? Let me hear from the thankful folk. Oh, come on, that's about 65% of you. I said, let me hear from the thankful people, the real thankful people. One translation said, enter with the password, thank you. 
So you build your life around God's presence. You come through Judah. You come into his presence with thanksgiving. And the first piece of furniture you see is the brazen altar. The brazen altar is where the blood flowed. The brazen altar is where the sacrifice was made. And I taught you a few weeks ago that the brazen altar represents the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, we all want to get to the mercy seat. We all want to get to mercy seat miracles. But the reality is you can't get to mercy seat miracles until you come by the altar. And this altar is the biggest piece of furniture in the entire tabernacle. But the problem is so often we want little altars and big mercy seats. But I'm telling you today, the bigger the altar, the bigger the mercy seat. The bigger the altar, the bigger the miracle. The more you trust God, the more God gives you breakthroughs. And so this altar represents the cross. It represents the blood. So we're covered with the blood. We come to the brazen lever. Remember the brazen lever is where the priest would wash himself and make himself clean because he was getting ready to go to another level. There were things that existed at this level that couldn't exist at the next level. And I'm telling you, somebody in this room better hear me. God's cleaning you up. God's getting you ready because somebody's about to go to another level. But there's things we leave behind. We cleanse ourselves. Taught you all about the reality that this brazen lever represents the Word of God. Then we go into the holy place. Now, don't forget, out here is the outer court. Everything the priest did, he did in natural light. But then he comes into the inner court, and what he does here, he does through candlelight. And even though it represents progress, there's still a dependency out there. Somebody bring me bread for the table. Somebody bring me oil for the lamp. So you progress, and you come to the candlestick. Remember the candlestick had seven lamps, and it was a, it was a lamp stand. In fact, it wasn't candles that burned, it was lamps. If you burn a candle, a candle consumes itself, but a lamp depends on an outside source for its oil. That's how you're gonna keep burning, because God has called you not to be a candle, but a lamp. And you're depending on oil from outside. And oil represents the Holy Spirit. How many of you want oil, fresh oil, in this next season? Then you come to the table of showbread. Showbread literally translates face bread or show up bread. It represents the bread of presence. I don't know about you, but I don't want to do what I do outside the presence of God. I need his word and I need his presence. We learned all about that. But here's where we're headed. We're headed to the mercy seat. We're headed behind the veil. We're going into God's presence. Right here is the natural realm. Everything that happened out here happened because of sunlight. Here, everything that happened, the priest did his work. He could see because of candlelight. But still, he had to have a source in the natural world. But when you go behind the veil, the veil is the holy of holies. In that place, there's no explanation. You can't explain the goings on. You can't explain what's happening. You just know you're in the presence of God and the supernatural is taking place. It's the realm of no explanation. Oh, come on now. I decree in the name of Jesus that many of you in 2021 are gonna transcend the natural realm. You're gonna transcend the realm where you depend on man to bring you breakthroughs and man to bring you oil and man to give you the job, and man to make it right. You're about to go into a situation and a season where you go behind the veil, 
You can't explain how the children were saved. You don't even have an explanation for how the cancer left. You don't know how the money came in, but you got into God's presence and everything shifted. But here's the key. The key is the process. You gotta enter into the process of the Lord. The last stop before going behind the veil was something called the table of worship, the table of intercession, the altar of incense. It has several names. This altar of worship, hear me now, it will make you. When you make an altar of worship and prepare an altar of worship, that place of worship will make you. It'll change you. It'll transform you. The golden altar was called an altar of incense or an altar of worship or an altar of intercession, and it represents so many things. But as I said, the strongest picture of this altar is the fact that it is an altar of intercession. It's an altar of worship. And I love what the Bible says in Exodus 30, verse 1. It says, and you shall make an altar, an altar of worship. This came alive to me because the Bible says here, you got to make it. You got to make this altar of worship. And that literally means, of course, to be intentional. It means to prepare. It means to build. It means to create. And it tells me there, y'all, that worship is intentional. It's not accidental. You make a place for God. Prayer is intentional. It's something you create space for. It's when you say, Lord, this is for you. This moment, this time, it's for you. Prayer is something you create space for. Worship is something you create space for and you make occasions for it in your life. So make means to create, it means to build. But make is a very powerful word in the Hebrew. You shall make an altar. Make here means to press to squeeze, to require. See, in this moment, the Lord is saying that there are times when life is going to be life. There are times when moments are going to be so intense and situations are going to feel so overwhelming that you won't feel like worshiping. There'll be times when you don't feel like praying. There'll be times when you don't feel like exalting the Lord. There will be times when you get in your feelings, come on somebody, and you don't feel like glorifying the Lord. It's in that moment that you make yourself give Him praise. It's in that moment when you command your soul to bless the mighty name of the Lord. That's when you squeeze yourself. That's when you press yourself. That's when you require yourself to worship and praise. It's in that moment when you say, Lord, even though things are not perfect, even though things are not the way I want them to be, I'm going to open up my mouth and I'm going to magnify you anyhow. It's that, it's that anyhow worship. Have you ever brought God anyhow worship? Things are not going good, but you worship him anyhow. You, you, your marriage is struggling, but you worship him anyhow. Things are not perfect, but you worship him anyhow. It's in that moment when you understand that in everything, you give the Lord thanks for this is the will of God concerning you. It's when you press and you squeeze and you say, God, I'm not going to let my moment become my misery. I'm going to worship you. The priest 
come to that altar and do two things that were significant. He would anoint the base of this altar of worship. He would anoint the base of it with blood and he would anoint the horns with blood. And he would also bring fire off of the brazen altar to the altar of worship. Now, if you remember, in Exodus 30, there were two priests called Nabid and Abihu. And they were killed because they offered strange fire to the Lord at this altar of worship. You say, Pastor, why was it strange fire? It was strange fire because it did not come off the altar of sacrifice. It was worship that had not been covered in the blood. It was worship that had not come off of the brazen altar. They had said to themselves, obviously, it doesn't matter where the fire comes from, any fire will do. God doesn't care. But the truth is, y'all, this fire that lit this incense rose as a sweet-smelling savor, a fragrance to God. God loved the smell of that worship, but it had to have a source from the right altar with the right fire. And he, here's what I'm trying to tell you. They got their fire from another source. Now, this brazen altar represents the cross of Jesus Christ. It represents the blood of Jesus Christ. And when we bring worship that is cross-filtered, worship that is in a response to what Jesus has done for us, we worship him because of the blood. We worship him because we are redeemed. We worship him because God has been so good to us in providing his only son. See, all of our worship must be cross-filtered. It doesn't matter how good it sounds. It doesn't matter how polished our worship is. It doesn't matter how professional or skilled. If the fire of worship does not have the altar or the cross as its source, it's strange to God. No matter how good it looks or how good it sounds, that's why we can't just gather with professional musicians. That's why we just can't just together and sound good. Our worship has to come from a place where we worship because we are redeemed, because we've been to the cross, because we are covered by the blood. I wonder if there's anybody here that if you can't praise God for nothing else, you can praise God because you've been to the cross and you've been covered by the blood. God said, if you're, if you're worshiping me just because the music sounds good, that's strange to me. If you're worshiping me just because you're grooving to the beat, he said, that's strange to me. That's strange fire. But if you come into a service and they begin to sing Miracle Mercy and you remember where you used to be and where you are now and you lift your hands and begin to glorify God, God said, I love that. Keep it coming. I love it. Keep it coming. I love it. Keep it coming. Is there anybody here that if you had a thousand tongues, it wouldn't be enough to glorify the Lord and worship him for all that he's done in your life? Now the altar... Remember, it has four horns. One, two, three, four. We see horns throughout the tabernacle. But horns in the Bible are symbolic. Everything is types and shadows. Remember, prototypes. 
In other words, it's pointing to something. Horns in the Bible represent the power of an animal. So the little picture here is that when you come to the altar of sacrifice or you come to the altar of worship, that's where real power is found. Real power is not found in your gift. Real power is not found in your money. Real power is not found in your skill. Real power is not found in your ability. But real power is when you open up your mouth and you begin to glorify God and say, I'm not great, Lord, but you are. I'm not powerful, God, but you are. I can't do it, but you can. I can't shift it, but you can. Oh, real men worship. I said real men worship. You say, Pastor, I, I don't worship like that because I'm not emotional. Worshiping is for women. Don't tell David that. Come on now. David was a poet. He was a worshiper and a warrior. Come on. He would kill you and write a song about it. Can I get a witness in the house? David was a worshiper and real men worship the Lord. Real women know how to give God glory because they know that the Lord is their source. So horns in the Bible represent strength. They represents power. Have you ever been weak? Have you ever felt like I've gone as far as I can go? But then you enter into a place where you worship God and his strength is made perfect in your weakness. Watch this. It was horns that they would feel. They would hollow out the horns and they would fill the horns with oil. And they would anoint their kings with a horn of oil. David was anointed with a horn of oil. You know what worship does? Not only does it bring power, it brings anointing. Power and anointing are found in worship. You want to find somebody that really knows what it is to flow in power, really see signs and miracles and wonders and the unexplainable manifesting in their lives. It's when they know how to worship the Lord. I'm declaring in this season that as you worship the Lord, that there is new power, there is new anointing, that anointing that lifts the burden, that anointing that breaks the yoke. I'm declaring as you worship the Lord, come on, do it right now. As you lift your hands and worship the Lord, there's fresh oil being poured over you right now. There's a new season being released in your life right now. Worship acknowledges the greatness, hallelujah, of God. Now the Bible says, and I've taught about it many times, you know how much I love to teach the Word. I like to teach it and preach it. You know what teaching is? Teaching is telling it and preaching is yelling it. Come on. But I've taught you about these four ingredients, stacked the onica, galbanum, pure frankincense, along with salt. They were mixed together. But the Bible says that all these ingredients had to be beaten fine. They, they went in a process where they were beaten fine. And even in the beating, they became more valuable to God. He could use them. And I know the devil thinks in our seasons where we're enduring beating and feels like we're being beaten fine, that, the, that he's going to get the last laugh and he's going to destroy our life. But I've come to tell you, sometimes the worship you bring God is wounded worship. Sometimes everything's not perfect, but you say, God, I might be hurting, but I'm not going to stop worshiping. I might be struggling, but I'm not going to stop worshiping. I'm persevering, but I'm still praising. I'm weak, but I'm still giving you glory. I, I won't stop worshiping. No matter what it looks like, no matter what happens, I'm not going to shut my mouth. Is there anybody? 
anybody here today, anybody online stream, is there anybody here that's made up in your mind, I have decided that I'm going to be a worshiper and I'm not going to let my worship be dictated by the amount of money I have in my account. I'm not going to let my worship be dictated by the fact that everything is going perfect, but I will open up my mouth and give God glory no matter what season that I'm in because I know that he is greater than I am. Some of you here today are in a moment where you say, well, Pastor, I I can't worship the Lord because I've got too many blemishes in my past. I've been struggling. I can't worship the Lord. Watch this now because I feel unworthy. Well, let me ring hell's bells. Let me give you a word that will shift your life. You don't worship God because you're worthy. You worship the Lord because he's worthy. You worship the Lord because he is good, not because you're good. Now, I've taught the tabernacle for years, and it's one of my favorite things to teach, and I heard something recently that just thrilled me deep down in my heart. The stacti, the anaka, the galbanum, the pure frankincense, the salt stirred together. And then they were poured over this altar and they were caught on fire. The smoke that rose filled up the tent, but it was so strong, it permeated the tent, went outside the tent and went into the camp. Oh, Jesus. Got in people's houses, got in their homes got in their family gatherings. It got to the dinner table. Y'all ain't saying nothing. It got in the house. How many of you want to have some worship that's not just confined to Granada Boulevard or one of our campuses, but you can say, I want worship that gets in my house. I want worship that gets at my table. I want worship and glory that gets in my car. It filled the whole place with an odor. It smelled good to men and it smelled good to God. But I was studying and I found something powerful out. It said the smell of the incense of worship actually drove the snakes away. Oh, come on, somebody. Said when that smell would invade the camp, it chased the snakes away. I don't know who I'm talking to, but I hear the Lord say, tell them to open up their mouth right now and I'll chase the snakes away. I'll chase depression away. I'll chase suicide away. I'll chase fear away. What are you waiting on? Sometimes what you need to do, even when the flesh feels weak, let the spirit be willing and open up your mouth and say, God, chase it away. Chase the poverty away. Chase the anxiety. Demons and devils run when you start worshiping God. If you want to chase the snakes away, open up your mouth and worship. Satan's strongholds break when you worship the Lord. Now check this out. This is powerful to me because I've been preaching a long time and I'm going to preach a lot longer. Come on now. I, I just turned 23 and a half times two. Come on, somebody. Actually, more than that. Yes, 27 and a half. The devil is. I don't know. I'm old. 
but I'm going to preach as long as I got breath. And I've seen a lot through the years. I've, I'm not impressed now with just great speakers and great preachers. I'm not even impressed with wonders and miracles. I'm impressed with who gets the glory. I'm not impressed with big churches. What impresses me is just the name that is above every name. Get all the glory and all the praise. You say, Pastor, why are you even saying that? Because Exodus 30 says, I want you to take the stack to the Annika, the Galvin, and the pure frankincense, and I want you to mix it with salt, and then I want you to catch it on fire, and it smells so good, and it's so wonderful. It changes the camp. It changes the tabernacle. It changes people's house. But here's the prerequisite. Here's what he said. He said, make sure and put none of it on the flesh. He said, don't you put any of that perfume on the flesh because this is not for the flesh. God said, if you use it for the flesh, this will not work for me. God said, if you take what's supposed to be mine and use it on yourself, it will not work for me. The truth of the matter is, y'all men can't handle worship. Anytime men start being worshipped, they self-destruct. They commit suicide. They fail in their ministries. They fail in their opportunities because they receive worship under themselves. God said, if you do that, I will cut you off. That's exactly what the Bible says. If you receive worship unto yourself, let me tell you something. Preachers, you watch me from around the nation. I want you to understand something. I love you and I care about you, but never take worship unto yourself. Here's the truth, sir. I've been doing this for 30-something years, 37 years. Here's what I know. I've never saved anybody. I've never redeemed anybody. I've never healed anybody. I've never set anybody free, but I glorify the one who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above everything I can ask and think because I cannot be cut off. I cannot afford to be cut off. I can't make it without his presence. I cannot be cut off. Leave me anything, but don't leave me alone. God said, if you use this and you glorify your flesh, I will cut you off. Have you ever seen somebody get cut off? Have you ever seen somebody it seemed like they were doing great but they began to think it was all them? Here's the truth y'all worship belongs to God alone. It's not us, it's him. Now the priest would come to this brazen, he would come to this golden altar, this incense of worship. He would come and stand there he was getting ready to go behind the veil. Getting ready to go into the miracle zone, the realm of no explanation. Now when he came up to this altar of worship, he was wearing a crown. He was wearing jewels. He was wearing a sash. His clothes were impeccable. He was something to see. But as he stood there at that table, of worship, uh, he said, let me set my crown aside. Let me take off my sash. Let me take off my jewels. Let me remove my fine clothes. And let me strip down to my linen garments. Let me strip down of anything that draws attention to me. 
He stood there and he said, the next place I go, it's not about me. It's not about my crown. It's not about my jewels. It's not about my sash. It's not about what I have. It's about who he is. See, there comes a moment when you really are desperate for God. You'll say, God, take it all. Take my pride. Anything in me that itches for glory, I'll lay it down. Because if I can just get here, if I can get here, everything in my life will shift. This next level is not going to be about me. I covenant with you out here that when I get in there, only you will receive the glory. It's in that moment where humility rises. It's in that moment of desperation that the priest would stand there and Exodus said that this, watch this now, this altar of worship was before the mercy seat. How many people want miracles? They want breakthroughs, but they won't build an altar of worship before. Somebody say before. Before you see all you want to see, before you walk, young person, in the fullness of all God has for you, you're going to have to know what it is to be recklessly abandoned in your worship and give him glory. Never forget, the Bible says that the altar of worship had to come first. Worship at the altar precedes mercy seat miracles. That priest would stand there at the altar. Now remember, we're kind of doing a little bit of review and learning new stuff all at the same time. But do you remember when Moses anointed the priesthood, Aaron and all his sons, he gave them all what I call a common anointing. It gave them access, and man, they could do their work in the outer court. They could work in the natural light. They could do all this here. They could minister at the brazen lever. They could even come into the inner court. They could enjoy the blessings and the benefit of the light. They could enjoy the table of showbread. They could enjoy that, and it was powerful. And that common anointing gave them access to common places. But there was one priest who transcended a common anointing and he received an uncommon anointing. The Bible said it ran down the head upon the beard, even to the skirts of Aaron's garment. It was like the dew of Hermon, for there the Lord commanded his blessing, even life forevermore. It wasn't a common anointing that just confined you to the natural realm. It wasn't a common anointing that confined you to the place where even though you were progressing, you were still counting on a man and still counting on the natural realm to provide for you. No, this uncommon anointing represented you walking out of the place of the natural and into the supernatural. And I am decreeing and declaring that in 2021, there will be those of us that will rise, hallelujah, not with a common anointing, but an uncommon common anointing and we will see revival like we've never seen it and awakening like we've never known it. Somebody open your mouth and give God a mighty praise right now if you are ready for an uncommon anointing. So 
We've been trying now to get to the mercy seat. We've been in pursuit of the miracle realm. That priest would stand there trembling. He knew I'm about to go behind the veil, dripping in oil, carrying blood, a bucket of fire. He's ready to go. But before he goes, what does he do? He gets a golden censer. He fills it with the incense of worship. It's smoking now. And before he even goes behind the veil, he'll thrust his hand back there and his arm back there. And he will stand there trembling. And he will let that smoke fill the holy of holies. He said, Lord, if I, if I meet you, I got to meet you in worship. If I meet you, I got to meet you in your presence. Lord, if I meet you, I got to be covered up by your presence because I've got issues and I've got problems. So let me meet you on the terms of your goodness, not mine. Your worthiness, not mine. Your faithfulness, not mine. That's what you do when you worship the Lord. You say, Lord, in spite of me, I worship you and I want to meet you on your terms. He would go behind the veil dripping in oil. He would come into that place of salvation, dripping in oil. The oil represents the Holy Ghost. Come on now. Some of you say, well, Pastor, I remember when I got saved, I was ready. I got saved on my terms. I, I just decided, I was, no, no, no. The Bible said no man comes to the Father unless he's drawn by the Spirit. You don't, you don't get saved on your terms. You get saved on God's terms. And the truth is, had the Holy Spirit not covered you and enveloped you, had the Holy Spirit not dealt with you, you would still be as lost as you ever were. But it was the Holy Spirit that came on you like oil and opened up an area where you could walk in and know the power of redemption. If you can't praise God for no other reason, you ought to stop right now and say, praise the Lord that you dealt with me, Holy Ghost, that you covered me with oil. You brought me in. Flawed. Less than. Tattered past. Abused. Fallen. But you brought me in. <sighs> Don't make me tell my own story. He walks behind the veil. Bucket of fire. Bucket of blood. That bucket is pointed on the bottom, that bucket of blood. Because he can never set that blood down. He can sprinkle the mercy seat with it, but he could never set it down because the work was never done. A year later, he would have to go in there again. He wanted to sit in that mercy seat, but he couldn't, he was unworthy. But 2,000 years ago, there came a more perfect lamb and a high priest, and he gave his blood on Calvary. And you know where he is right now? The Bible said he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Because when Jesus did it, it never had to be done again. Yeah. 
Are you going with me? Or do you want me to go by myself? Will you walk in there with me? Will you get in the process? Ha! Will you come to the table of worship finally and say, God, I need you. He walked in to God's presence. But before we can really contend with and talk about the mercy seat, why don't we discover what was in the mercy seat? In the mercy seat were the Ten Commandments. In the mercy seat was a golden jar of manna that the Lord provided. And in the mercy seat was Aaron's rod that budded. These Ten Commandments were in the Ark of the Covenant. And God gave these commandments knowing that humanity would struggle knowing that we could not flawlessly keep the law. I mean, you can sit out there and act religious if you want to. You watching by live stream or, or later on in the service or on television, you can sit there today and act like you have been flawless and you never sin. But the truth is, all of us have struggled. All of us has borne false witness against our neighbor. You say, well, Pastor Rayleigh, I, I, I never killed anybody. Did you ever lie? Did you ever lust? Did you ever let things in your heart that shouldn't be there? Did you ever say things you shouldn't have said? None of us are perfect. So God said, I'll put those commandments in there to show you that you needed another source, to show you that you could not be flawless and you could not be perfect. But what I did, I put those commandments in there, but I put mercy over top of them because I knew that you would struggle and I knew that you would fall. Oh, let me tell you, I'm here today only because he put mercy over top of my failures. I need somebody that's not ashamed right now to give God praise that he put mercy over top of your struggles. Uh, he knew you and he said, so I'm going to put a mercy seat ha, over it all. Then there was the golden jar of manna. It represents God's miracle mercy provision. It doesn't represent that the Israelites were perfect. It doesn't represent that they always deserved God's provision. God said even when you're losing your mind, even when you're doubting, even when you're turning your back on me, even when you're not being who you ought to be, even when you forget me, I won't forget you. I'll keep providing for you. I'll keep making a way for you. I'll keep bringing you manna in the morning. I'll keep, I'll, keep, I'll keep opening doors for you until you realize that you didn't get it by yourself. Oh, I wonder if there's anybody here right now you know that you're only where you are because of the miracle mercy manifestation of God's provision in your life. No, 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 I'm looking for real people. I'm looking for people who know that God was good to me even when I wasn't good to him. God was faithful to me even when I wasn't faithful to him. God provided even 
when I lost my mind and I lost my way, manna still fell from heaven in my life. I still had food on the table. Oh, my God, help me. I still had family that loved me. Even when I lost my way, I feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost. At the mercy seat, we are reminded of God's faithfulness and provision even when we haven't deserved it. If he's ever been good to you even when you didn't deserve it, one, two, three, open up your mouth and give him praise right now. No, 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 I need you to stop. I need you to stop right now and give God praise for his goodness even in the midst of your struggle. And, 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 and your failure. That's praising stuff right there, isn't it? I said, that's praising stuff right there. So, the mercy seat over the broken laws, the mercy seat that provides. Huh, even when I don't deserve it. And finally, there's Aaron rods, Aaron's rod that budded. This is supernatural to me. This is amazing to me because this was probably the same rod. Do you remember the story? When Aaron was before Pharaoh and with Moses and Pharaoh's magicians turned their rods into snakes and then Aaron threw that rod out there and what happened? His rod that turned into a snake ate all of the magician's rods and it points us to this reality y'all. It's the mercy seat that gives us power over the devil, over the enemy. Come on, the snakes would have killed you a long time ago. Many times you should have been defeated, but God's mercy gave you victory and swallowed up every attack of the enemy. Maybe, maybe, maybe everything's not perfect, but if the devil would have had his way, you would have been defeated and destroyed and consumed. But didn't the Lord cause you to walk in victory? God's mercy not your goodness, God's mercy, not your money, not your money, not your money, God's mercy, not your skin color, God's mercy swallowed up the attack of the enemy in your life. This would have been progressing. You would have seen a bud, you would have seen a flower, and then you would have seen a fruit. The bud represents God the Father. He's the foundation of it all. He's the source of power. Nothing happens without the goodness of God. I'll tell you that, baby. He's the source of it all. You say, Jim Rayleigh, how in the world have you made it? How have you come through what you've come through? Have you seen what you've seen? I'll tell you, it's been because I've had a greater source than myself. I've depended on the Father. And then there's the flower. The flower represents the sun. The flower is fragrant. It's beautiful. It represents Jesus. How many of you can say your life smells a lot better because of Jesus? 
How many of you can say, he made something beautiful out of my life? I dare the people who are thankful for Jesus. No, only if you're thankful for Jesus. I want all the people that are thankful for Jesus, just open up your mouth and say thank you. Just open up your mouth and thank, just be thankful for Jesus. But then there's the fruit. And the fruit, it bore an almond. And the fruit represents the Holy Spirit. So can I just say this over you? By faith, you're entering into a season of fruitfulness. Okay, I got about three people. I said, you're entering into a season of fruitfulness. I said, you're entering into a season of fruitfulness. I said, you are entering into a season of supernatural fruitfulness. You say, well, Pastor, you don't understand. You, you don't understand, Pastor. It, my, my, it's dead. That marriage is dead. That opportunity is dead. That door is dead. That issue is dead. But I want you to understand that this was a dead branch. It was disconnected. This rod was not planted. It was disconnected. It was a dead piece of wood, but it budded and it bore fruit. And that tells us it doesn't matter how dead or disconnected it looks, mercy can bring it back to life. Huh? I said mercy can bring it back to life. It can bring that marriage back to life. It can bring that ministry back to life. Hell is mad right now. The devil wishes I would shut up, but I need to let the devil know my God specializes in turning crucifixions into resurrections. My God specializes in turning crucifixions into resurrections. No matter what's been dead in your life, God can bring it back to life. Now, watch this. I was studying about an almond tree, and it usually takes two to four years for an almond tree to bud and bear fruit. Two to four years. 24 to 48 months. But the Bible said when they put that in the mercy seat, that it budded overnight. Oh, y'all, dear God. See, God's mercy brings fruitfulness and resurrection quickly. I declare in the mighty name of Jesus that God's about to expedite things in your life. Listen, you've been waiting long enough. God's about to speed things up. What you thought was going to take two years or four years, God said, I'll do it overnight. I'll change your children overnight. I'll change your family overnight. I'll bring that person overnight. I'll shift that thing overnight. I need somebody right now who believes that God is in the business of doing Quick works, give him praise right now. Thank you, sweet spirit. Thank you, sweet spirit. I just heard the Holy Spirit say, Tell my people I'm doing a quick thing. Tell my people I'm about to speed things up in their life. I dare you right now. If you're ready for God to expedite some things, you felt a little bit behind, but now you're about to catch up. One, two, three. Give God a mighty praise right now. He's about to do it. Oh. Y'all, I got to finish, but I need somebody right now. At home, open up your mouth and give God praise and things are about to speed up. Hallelujah. Y'all tracking with me? You still with me? 
You want me to shut up or you want some more? This has been the goal, hasn't it? Move me out of my world and get me into yours. Jesus, I need you. Move me out of my limitations. Move me out of my sickness and into your healing. Move me out of my despair and into your joy. Move me out of my bondage and into your freedom. Move me out of my frustration and into your breakthrough. Move me out of my world and put me into yours. See, everything you see in this ark right here, it's a representation of what's going on in heaven. The ark represents the throne of God in the earth. The Bible said it's overlaid with gold and then it's underlaid with gold. In other words, it's gold inside and out. And it represents God's goodness and God's mercy. It's a God who is good inside and out. It's a God who's always good. Now watch this. There were four corners. I've taught you about the four corners over the weeks. One, two, three, four. Say, well, Pastor, what do those four corners represent to you? Honey, I'm telling you, I could preach this for six months. Some of y'all would be glad if I did, wouldn't you? But there are four corners here. To me, these four corners represent the gospel of Jesus Christ. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It represents the gospels. The gospels recall the goodness of God's mercy and grace through the manifestation of Jesus. It tells us that we come to mercy not because we deserve it. It tells us that everything we have, we don't have it because we're so good or because we got it going on. But the gospel is what changed our life. It's the gospel. It's the manifestation of Jesus. Is there anybody here today who could say, Jim Rayley, I know it's the gospel that's made me who I am. I know that it's Jesus who made me who I am. I know it's the Savior, the healer, the redeemer, the provider, the ancient of days, it's wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. It's Isaiah's ram, Isaac's prince of peace. It's, it's, the, it's the wheel within the wheel. It's the way, the truth, and the life. It's the captain of the host. I know I wouldn't be here without Jesus and his gospel. If you're thankful for the gospel, come on and give Jesus a praise right now. Four corners represent north, south, east, and west. You know what it tells me? It tells me because this is a mercy seat, there's nowhere mercy can't go. It doesn't matter how far somebody gets away from God, mercy will run you down. It doesn't matter how lost someone is, mercy will go where they are. Mercy will go from Alabama to Alaska to Africa. Come on, somebody. Mercy makes all the difference in the world. It can go anywhere from the back room to the boardroom to the crack room. It'll go from God's house to the crack house. It'll go from the front row to skid row to death row. Hallelujah. Mercy will get on your row right here this morning if you'll let it. priest is here now, you and me. I'm not a priest. Yes, you are. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. The priest came in the smoke, dripping in oil, carrying blood, and he encounters two angels. Now, this is where it gets really real. These angels represent worship, okay? These angels 
point us to worship. And the Bible said these angels were of beaten work, not cast work, not precast, not preformed, but beaten. They were beaten into position. They endured hammer blows. They endured the fire. And that's how they got in position as worshipers. See, the reality of it all is this. The devil is so dumb. He's not just some dumb, he's plum dumb. Come on, y'all. Because the devil thinks he's going to inflict hammer blows on our lives. He thinks he's going to cause us every time the hammer hits us to turn away from God. He thinks every time we go through a hard season or a hard time, we're going to turn away from God. But the devil doesn't know it. Every time he hits us, every blow points us to the mercy seat. And we bring our tattered wings of worship together. Oh, maybe it hadn't been perfect in your life, but why don't you get with your neighbor and you bring your tattered wings of worship and create a mercy seat. We'll handle hard times. Every blow turns us toward the mercy seat in God's presence. Sometimes worship is beaten work. Sometimes it's hard, but we say, Lord, I'm not going to let it make me bitter. I'm not going to let it separate me from you. There have been times in my life when the devil thought he was winning, but God was only using my struggle to get me focused on him. Oh, devil, you tried your best. You brought everything you could against me, but how do you like me now? Hallelujah. I've turned toward the mercy seat. Can I tell you this? Hell would leave you alone if it understood that it's only turning you to Jesus. Your attacks. Now there were two angels. I'm trying to close. Two angels. And these two angels were very symbolic. One represents the justice of God. One represents the righteousness of God. Here you are in the middle of God's justice and God's righteousness. How do you stand? How do you survive when you're looking at God's righteousness and you know you've been unrighteous? You know you failed. So on one side, you see God's righteousness, but listen, that righteousness also demands justice. Your failure demands a sacrifice. So you have the righteousness on one side and the justice on the other. What do you do when you are faced with God's righteousness and justice? How do we survive, Pastor? How do we make it? How do we survive God's righteousness and God's justice? There is only one way. There is only one way. You have to get mercy in the middle. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know what was between the righteousness of God and the justice of God? Mercy got in the middle. Oh, you wouldn't be here today if mercy hadn't gotten in the middle. You and I deserve to be judged, but mercy got in the middle. I dare somebody right now, if mercy ever got between you and God, open up your mouth and give the Lord a praise right now. Ah, oh, come on. I'm only here because mercy got in the middle. Remember now, prototypes, types, shadows. I'm, I'm done. Crowns. See this crown? 
touch it. There's only one source of mercy. His name is King Jesus. The devil is the prince of the power of the air. How many of you know that a prince is always subject to a king? Ugh. Come on, somebody. So this seat right here is a judgment seat. When that priest comes in, it's a judgment seat. When that priest walked in at that moment, it was a judgment seat. It wasn't until the blood hit the judgment seat that the judgment seat became a mercy seat. Oh, I tell you today, baby, the devil is mad, but I am glad because when Jesus shed his blood 2,000 years ago, he changed the judgment seat to a mercy seat. And I dare you right now, if you're thankful for the mercy seat, open up your mouth and give God a praise. No, 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 I need the radical people to give God an, just an an unfeathered, unbound. If you're thankful for the blood, tell your neighbor, say, I know it was the blood for me. Tell him, I know it was the blood. It changed my judgment seat to a mercy seat. The Bible says, that when Cain killed Abel, the Lord spoke to Cain and said, Cain, your brother's blood cries up from the ground. And that blood is crying to me and it's saying, Father, he killed me, killed him. He did me wrong, do him wrong. It's crying up revenge. Then the Bible said, and to the blood of the sprinkling, the blood of Jesus, that speaks better things than that of Abel. Abel's blood says, judge him. The blood of Jesus cries out from the ground at Calvary and says, forgive him, restore him, put him back together again. Deliver him from drugs. Deliver him from sexual sin. Forgive him for all that they did. Cries up from the ground. So I failed to announce the title of this message, but the title of this message is simply this, Love is Red. On Valentine's Sunday, I need to tell you, love is red. Because love is what opens up the mercy seat. Tell your neighbor, say, meet me at the mercy seat. Yeah, yeah, tell somebody on your row, say, meet me at the mercy seat. Yeah, I need a breakthrough, meet me at the mercy seat. I need healing, meet me. Thank you for joining us for today's message. You can continue to be a part of all that God is doing here at Calvary Christian Center. You can text to give at 386-866-3060 or you can give at calvaryfl.com give. We would love for you to subscribe to our podcast and also for you to share this podcast with your community, your family, and your friends. Again, thank you for joining us.